ever had a goal that just seemed impossible? If so, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Notable Peeps Podcast, a series that gives attention to remarkable people who are putting on their shoes, doing their best, and believing in the impossible. All my dreams are coming true. You're listening to the Notable Peeps Podcast. Hello, my name's Steph, and I'm here today with Nate and Angela Bagley. Hello. Hi. Hey. And I'm so excited to interview you guys, but I'm also so nervous. <laughs> Why are you nervous? <laughs> well, because, Nate. So Nate started the Love You Mentory seven years ago, right? That was a long time. I don't a long time. Like back, back when podcasts were just beginning. And so I feel like you're legit. <laughs> That's nice of you to say. And so, You're probably the only person who's ever called me legit. <laughs> well, I'm glad that I could add that to, <laughs> to but, my resume. But so the way that this came about is that I like had written up a message to you guys, and then I got nervous because I was like, no, uh, I'm not going to message them. They're like so busy with different things. And then Nate and I saw each other at a wedding. So shout out to Mal and Brad for getting married. Thank you for getting married, guys. <laughs> so that we could make this happen. <laughs> yeah. So that's how it came about. Well, we're excited to be here. Well, and I had to like pry it out of you at the wedding. I'm like, what are you up to? How's it going? And you're like, oh, I started a podcast. I'm like, what? That's great. And you're like, yeah. But you don't realize. Ask you to be on it. I was like, I'd love to. And you're like, really? But you don't realize like how many like episodes of yours that I've shared with people. And when I was in Alaska, I listened to the Love You Mentor all the time during my 30 life crisis. And it just like got me through. So it's like. It's a big deal to me. Oh, well, we're really honored and flattered and happy to be here. And yeah. I'm glad that our paths crossed because so. this is one of our favorite things to do. Yeah, we love doing this. And I'm new at this, so. <laughs> Part of the, the perks of being right. here, Nate. Yes. And Angela and I know each other from Oakcrest, mm-hmm. so. Which yep. is a girl's camp. camp yep, I know you as Jemima. It's really weird for and me to call you. I know. Stuff. That's why I was like, <laughs> yeah, I, even to Nate, I was like, wait, is her name Angela? <laughs> yeah. It's Blay. I do that. <laughs> the whole time I've been calling you Jemima, and he's like, what's her real name? And I was like, <sighs> Jemima. I, I know. You can, I like being called Jemima. So. Well, it's like you're two different people. Yeah. I know your name. There's like the camp person. Right. And but the, sometimes yeah. she'll be like Jemima, and I'm like, who's Jemima? Oh, that's right. It's <laughs> so, well, okay. Can we talk a little bit about your guys' love story? Because you started out as friends. So right. how did you transition from like just friends to to where you are today, married? Yeah. How do you get out of the friend zone? That's a good question. <laughs> this is actually an interesting story. So, Well, we think it's interesting because it's about us. Right. We'll let the <laughs> listeners be the judge. Right. But me and Nate met at a single adult camp out. So we there was this uh, he we had seen each other before because we were in the same we were casual acquaintances. I knew who he was. He knew who I was. We held hands briefly. That was a joke, though. (laughs) That was a joke. (laughs) But at this campout, they had a dance, and I love dance parties. I mean, Mm -hmm. I worked at Oakcrest, of course. I love dance parties. But typically, you're pretty shy and introverted, right? And I had just gotten home from a mission with the church. But when there are dance parties, I really come out of my shell. And there weren't very many people dancing, but I was just, you know, in my zone. And here comes Nate dancing with us. My whole life is a dance party. So (laughs) I was glad everybody else showed up. (laughs) And again, I was just in the zone and I don't know what came over me, but I just looked at Nate and gave him a wink. 
and oh. I, and I melted. <laughs> I was like, who is this? Because all I knew of Angeline was this timid, shy, introverted girl that I could tease really easily. And, it make, and it, I loved watching her squirm. And then she winks at me on the dance floor. And I was like, uh, yes, I will accept your flirting. And I will reciprocate in kind. So the next day, we bumped into each other. And I'm like, she gave me the go-ahead. So I'm going to start like I'm going to start my pursuit. And so uh, I started talking to her. And she started crying. And I proceeded to tell him all my sappy Love problems. <laughs> so I became the shoulder shoulder to cry on, and I was mm. like, "Oh, well, that was quick." <laughs> he was he was a safe. I was intimidated by him because of my dashing because of his <laughs> podcast. It was definitely not my looks. He was the love guru, and so I immediately put him in the not going there, mm-hmm. and deemed him safe, and therefore was able to open up to him pretty quickly, and he became just a really good friend. And from that point on, we spent a lot of time together just as friends. We had a lot of fun. Um, and then he started asking me on dates. And then I got scared and started to ghost him. She ghosted him. me. Yeah. We went out like three or four times and had a right. good time. And then I started like I would reach out to you and you just would say nothing. I just stopped talking to him like completely out of the blue. Hoping I would go away. <laughs> Because that was a tactic that had worked in the past. <laughs> well, you had written in this Instagram post that you had convinced yourself that he was shorter than you. I did. So, again, I was so terrified that, of him that I was trying to tell myself every reason not to date Nate. Including, I thought he was shorter than me. And I was like, oh, I can't date someone who's shorter than me. So, this is never going to work out. Um, he's four inches taller than me, by the way. <laughs> but Just a little. I just... I ha- I was drawn to him, and I didn't know why, but I resisted that a lot. And so we had the talk. Eventually, you called me out on ghosting it wasn't, you. It wasn't the talk. I just a talk. I to me, you I was called like, me on the phone. Yeah, but I was I got to this place where I was like, I, I I'm done having childish relationships. Like. I'm going to have an adult relationship, and if you don't want to date me, that's great. But you need to just tell me. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to make it easy. And I basically called her and I said, look, I have been having fun with you. I got the vibe that you were having fun with me. I don't know if you're busy or if you're playing hard to get or if you're just not interested. And I'd like to know where you're at so that I continue, so that I can either uh, continue to pursue you if you are interested or so I don't burn a bridge if you're not because I don't want to be the guy who's overly persistent when he's not, yeah. and not picking up the signal. I'm like, so just tell me, like, there's no need to make a big deal out of it. If you want me to keep asking you out and we can – I'm not asking you to be my girlfriend. Like, let's keep going on dates if, if you're interested. But if not, just tell me. And she freaked out and was like, I don't know. I just don't know. And I was like, all right. Well, then you're in the friend zone. <laughs> and, um, we'll just be friends. And we can just be friends. And when you figure out what you want, if I'm still available, we can go out. And she's like, wait, you're friend zoning me? And I'm like, <laughs> yep. Like, And that conversation, the friend zone conversation came much later. But um, at that point, usually when I'd have that conversation with guys, I'd just stop talking to them and that would be it. But for some reason, I'd walk into church on Sunday and the first person I'd go sit by was Nate. And so I couldn't leave him alone after that for some reason. And I, I started dating other people. You did. You were dating other people. And Hi, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> He was just a really safe place after that. 
And again, like I said before, I could just be myself with him and completely open up. And eventually... Somebody tried to set me up with her older someone sister. Someone tried to set oh, him really? up with Amy. And, and she was like, no, 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 no. And <laughs> right. that's kind of when she was like, okay, I think maybe I have feelings for you. And then we tried it again and it went really smoothly. And it went really that. fast after that. I think I was someone who was so desperate to make the right choice that any decision was crippling to me. And especially when you come to deciding who you're going to marry, I wanted so desperately to make the right choice that dating was really scary for me. And for some reason, choosing to date Nate was one of the most terrifying things I did because he left it up to me. And most of my previous relationships, I kind of just went along with the guy and let the guy dictate everything. But he was like, he told me once, I was like, I just don't want to hurt you. And you're like, you're not that big of a deal. <laughs> <laughs> you're, not, you're not that big of a deal that you would ruin my life right. if you broke up with me. Right. Like, I've been through enough to know that I can survive quite a bit. But ultimately, it became my choice. And when I was finally decided to t- make the choice to date him, it all just kind of fell into place. And the fear went away. And it went pretty quick. Well, part of that fear, then. I think, came from the fact that... You, your whole life, you had something to look forward to. You know, you graduate high school, you go to college, then you went on a mission, and then you came home. But, like, the ultimate goal was to get married and be – get married. Right. Be a wife. And suddenly, like, the finish line is right there in place, and it may not have been exactly what you had envisioned it to be. And you knew that you could take that step, but then there was – I mean, when we got married, Angeline – had a bit of an existential crisis where she's like, <laughs> I don't know what's next. Everything in my life in one way or another revolved around finding a husband and getting married. Like whatever I did, my plans going to do things, I always thought, well, maybe I'll meet my husband there. And so now that it was finally happening and I was finally getting married, I had kind of a tangled moment Rapunzel when she was finally able to see the lights Mm -hmm. and Flynn Rider was like what's wrong and she said well what if it's not what I imagined and he said oh don't worry it'll be fine and she's like well what if it's everything that I imagined then what and I think that's kind of where the crisis came was what do I do now but I love your honesty about that though because Mm -hmm. I've often thought that because when you're single for decades (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, like older. But, but you know, like it is like, mm-hmm. oh, who am I going to meet at this party or mm-hmm. like yeah. whatever first date? And it, that becomes what you look forward to. Right. And so I can totally see why you had that little crisis of like, ah, oh, what look. next? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So along with that, Nate, you talked about how you, you were like, I don't want childish relationships anymore. Yeah. And so so with the love you mentry, what other wisdom did you learn from these people that you were interviewing about their love stories? I mean, I learned a lot. I've talked to a lot of people and a, a lot of fantastic couples and a lot of amazing relationship experts. And I think the thing that has been most important has been the lesson that we need to treat love just like we want, we treat anything else we want to get good at. If you want to be a really good cook, you get cookbooks, you cook every day, you practice new recipes, you experiment. And if you want to learn a new language, you take a class or you listen to stuff in that language all the time, or you go to the foreign country that you're trying to learn the language of and you immerse yourself in it and you practice and you practice and you practice. 
And I think we have this fantasy and a lot of us buy into it. And part of it's because of Hollywood and part of it's just because it seems like a nice idea that when we meet the right person, everything will work out. And that's just a falsehood. And so I think um, the most important lesson that I've learned, and there's little lessons that fit into this lesson, but the happiest couples and the most successful couples are the couples who are dedicated to the practice of creating great relationships. They're not passive. They're not, um, they don't settle for mediocrity. They work at it and they confront the difficult things and they have the hard conversations and they, they lean into discomfort in order for them to grow and progress and get better at the thing that they want to be better at, which is love. So no, as you were talking, I was just like, yeah, that's so true. Cause I just interviewed Utah's dating coach uh -huh. and she talked about, you know, in dating, instead of looking at it as rejection or whatever, to just be like, Oh, they were practice. Yep. Mm -hmm. And it's just like what you're saying. If you really want to get better at, at dating or being in a relationship to immerse yourself, I love that. Yeah. How mm -hmm. can you show up on every single date in a way that makes the person that you're with want to be with you more? How do you make them feel so good being around you that they're like, wow, you know what? I really want to go back and be with that person. And that's what marriage is in very large part is how do I create a relationship with my wife so that every day when she comes home or when I come home, she's actually excited to see me. How do I make her life better in a way that she wakes up every morning going, man, I'm so glad I'm married to Nate Bagley. I'm so <laughs> glad that I'm with him and that I'm not with somebody else because, man, he makes me feel good. Man, he makes my life easy. You know, like yeah. what would happen if we all took that approach to our relationships of how can I, how can I make my partner's life phenomenal? And I think as human beings, we like to take the comfortable route um, or the passive route. Uh, it's less scary and it's less risky, but in order to make a relationship really phenomenal, like Nate's talking about, it takes vulnerability and that's uncomfortable sometimes. But it's also courageous. It's courageous. Yes. But sometimes it doesn't feel good. And I think a myth that you hear is find someone who always makes you happy. And happiness is such a fluid emotion that if you base the success of your relationship on whether or not you're happy all the time, you're going to feel like a failure because sometimes you get diarrhea. It's hard. <laughs> and you just and feel scary. gross. And it's, it's true. It has nothing to do with your marriage. Right. <laughs> or sometimes like you get in a little argument and you have to confront that and it's an uncomfortable conversation. But once you have those uncom uncomfortable conversations, it's so much better on the flip side. But I think like he said, sometimes you need to lean into that discomfort in mm. order to grow and in order to feel better on the other side of that. You reminded me of something that's, I think that we've learned recently that's really important. And this is an important message I think for people to hear today because we don't like to feel anxious. There's like a plague of anxiety. Mm -hmm. A lot of people get really stressed and really anxious and depressed. And like, I totally, I'm not trying to. He's married to one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's something that we struggle with and I yeah. don't want to, I don't want to diminish the struggle because mm -hmm. I know it's real, but also it's important to know that there's a, there is good anxiety and there's bad anxiety. And bad anxiety is the kind of chronic anxiety that follows you no matter where you go and it makes it almost impossible to function and it's hard to get out of bed and it feels just like you're carrying this huge backpack of rocks, emotional rocks with you all the time. But good anxiety is is the kind of anxiety that comes with growth. And I think sometimes we like 
we get into a relationship situation where we're feeling stressed and overwhelmed a little bit and we get feeling anxious and we tell ourselves this isn't right. This isn't good. This relationship, there's something wrong with this relationship. I either need to leave or I need to run and hide or, or fight, whatever it is that you do when you feel anxious. And we forget that growth is always accompanied by anxiety. When you're being stretched, when you're being pushed outside your comfort zone, when you're being challenged, that challenge always comes hand in hand with a little bit of discomfort. And a lot of times that discomfort is emotional. So it's okay to be, it's okay to be in a relationship and have anxiety as long as you're using that anxiety as a compass and realizing that, hey, this is an opportunity. This is obviously outside my comfort zone. I need to grow and expand my capacity in this area so this becomes comfortable. And um, I think a lot of people abandon relationships or abandon certain topics inside their relationship because it makes them uncomfortable, but then it prevents them from ever growing and becoming the person that they need to be to have the relationship that they want. So they're almost paralyzing themselves and preventing themselves from ever becoming the type of partner that they really dream of becoming just because they don't want to be uncomfortable. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, totally. And when you're talking about using anxiety as a compass, I think that is so great because it is like, I'm a person that I get super anxious mm -hmm. in dating. And so then when I get anxious and they aren't contacting me, I just like initiate conversation or like whatever way too much. And then right. I'm like, girl, calm your crazy <laughs> self down and like, stop. But I think that that anxiety of just looking and being like, okay, why am I feeling anxious in this mm -hmm. situation? And like examining, yeah. Right. Yeah. Because the hard part is the good and the bad anxiety both manifest themselves in the same way. And I think that's what was so crippling to me before with dating and led to the demise of a lot of my relationships is as soon as I felt anxiety, I'd be like, oh, well, I guess this isn't right. Mm -hmm. And I'd bow out. And so I like what you said that you can pause and think, okay, I'm feeling anxious. Why? Am I feeling anxious because this really isn't good for me? Or am I feeling anxious because this is an opportunity to grow? Am and I just being evaluating. In a way? Right. Am I losing control in an area that I normally have control? Ooh, losing control. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anxiety is almost always a loss, comes, stems from a loss of control. When you're like, oh crap, I really like this person. And, <laughs> and now he has all I the power. I can't control why they're not texting me. <laughs> exactly. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Oh, guys. Yep. <laughs> so, so nice to know that it's not just me. <laughs> no. No, it's, it's everybody. Not. It's everyone. You are not alone. And if anybody says otherwise, they're lying to you. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the first seven years, your guys' project that you're doing there. How did it, when did you guys start this? How did it come about? Well, the first seven years, is uh, how do we explain this it's so you like we said before the lovey mentory has been going on for like seven years or so i was telling Angie this story today so i've had the lovey mentory podcast for for quite a while and that podcast to me was like a storytelling project mm -hmm. and i love it and i still do it but i i felt like i had grown beyond the label of a storyteller mm -hmm. so i wanted to start something that would not just be story sharing, but actual like meaty advice and, and um, guidance for couples, especially couples in their first seven years of marriage. And I picked the first seven years because 50% of first time divorces happen in the first seven years of marriage. Oh, yeah. So if we could, yeah. yeah. So if we could make the first seven years of marriage awesome for every couple on the planet, the divorce rate would be cut in half overnight. That's awesome. So my goal with the first seven years is to, Give people who either want to be married or who who are kind of newly married 
all of the skills and the tools and the resources that they need to be successful. I pull in a lot of experts, just like I did on, do on the on the podcast, and they share a lot of stuff. And I do share a lot of my own writing and and kind of the things that I've learned over these last six or seven years as I've been doing the Loveumentary and doing all the studying and talking to all these incredible minds. And if you want to have an extraordinary marriage, my goal is to just be somebody who can support you and encourage you in that and help you know where to even begin. Because sometimes people just don't know where to start. Yeah. Well, as you were talking, I was thinking about this couple that you shared the story of. I can't remember their names. I know you've interviewed so many people, yeah. so I hope you don't I might remember. not even remember. Let's be honest. But they got married, and then it was like on their honeymoon that they're like, oh, crap. What did we do? Yeah. <laughs> and then they had like a terrible marriage because the other person didn't want to like be the one that like called quits. Yeah. Is this sounding familiar? Yeah. There's okay. a couple of them that are, yeah. that are like mm-hmm. this. And then, and then it was like something happened where they had like the birth of the, a child or like they lost a child and that really bonded them. And now yeah. they are counselors to other couples but I always like that story or like Josh and Jenny how like he treated her like crap for years you know and then now they have this awesome love story where they slow dance and he's like he's like get out of the car I want to make out with you (laughs) (laughs) I love that story Josh and Jenny are fantastic and they have I mean I'm friends with them and they have their struggles still too and every every couple I've ever talked to has struggles and they have challenges and their relationship isn't perfect there's no such thing as a perfect relationship but and, and you're right it doesn't have to start out that way like if you are in the crapper right now and you're listening to this and you're just like, I'm ready to give up. This is ridiculous. I, It's not even worth fighting for anymore. Man, that's, that's when it's extra worth fighting for. Because if you can make it work from here, you have gone through hell with somebody. And there is nobody that you'll be bonded with more than somebody who you've, you've fought your way in and out of hell with. And uh, I mean, there's obviously reasons to split and, and get a divorce or split up and, and break up. But... Um, sometimes I think that we give up a little too easily and it's because kind of what Ange said, you don't know where to start. You get yourself in this hole and all you can see is the walls and you, you need somebody who's been in the hole before to come by and climb down there with you and show you the way out. So that's kind of what I try to do with the, with Mm -hmm. the first seven years is for people who are in the hole, be like, Hey. It's okay. You can be in this hole and I can show you how to get out. And people who aren't in the hole, I say, hey, there's a hole over there and this is how bad it is. And here's a lot of things you can do to avoid it and um, and to go somewhere completely different that's actually really great. Well, and the thing that I like about it, you guys are so honest. Like I was reading mm-hmm. where you're like, I don't feel attractive because all my oh. friends, they, <laughs> yes. their husbands want sex all the time. And you're like, wait, I'm trying to respect you. <laughs> yeah. This happened yeah. early on. I yeah. mean, we've only been married for, we're coming up 18, on two years. Almost so year, two years. Almost so a year years, and yeah. a half. But yeah, like adjusting to having a sexual relationship together was, it was a little weird. Mm-hmm. And it's still an adjustment in a lot of ways. Because every couple has a different sexual relationship than the next. And so when you hear all these generic things, you automatically assume things about your partner. Like, since he's the man, he must want sex all the time. And when and he didn't, he I was like, about. oh, he must not be attractive. He must not want to be with me. <laughs> <laughs> he was just trying to respect me and be nice. Well, and that was part of part of – what I've learned through doing this whole loveumentary thing is I've learned about, you know, um, a lot of the disrespect that men can have towards women and that there's a lot of uh, men who just feel entitled to have sex whenever they want. And a lot of men who experience 
who who are not very selfless in the bedroom, I guess we'll say that. And so I was super, super paranoid that I was going to be that guy. I did not want to be the stereotypical, like, ape man who <laughs> was like, woman, come. You know, like, me want bed. Like, that, that just wasn't it's not what I wanted. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be more sensitive to her feelings and stuff. And it made it more difficult for me to um, – to ask pursue, for what you want. To ask for what I wanted because I wanted her to have what she wanted. So, so I was really passive. We had to learn how to have those conversations because they're kind of uncomfortable conversations. Mm-hmm. Especially if you've never had them before. So we don't profess to have a perfect marriage or to know it all. No. One, Nate said before he heard somewhere that some of the most beneficial mentors are those that are just a few steps ahead. Because you can talk to someone who's 20 years down the line and they may have forgotten what it's like to be where you are. Mm. But someone who's just a few steps ahead can really, they, they've been there and they've been there just recently. And so with the first seven years, we're in the midst of our first seven years and we're, we're doing it right along with everybody else and we're, we're testing things out and experimenting and learning how to have the conversations so that we can help others who are just a little bit behind know how to improve. I just think that this is so great though, because a lot of things that you're talking about, it's not talked about because Mm -hmm. with the first seven years, I mean, you guys like talk about sex and you have a sex therapist on there, but you also like talk about pornography and Mm -hmm. talk about all these different issues that people just want to sweep under the rug. Right. Or that people just accept as this is reality, like little arguments that we have. I talk about conflict all the time. And in our marriage, we have what we call a a low negativity threshold. And basically, we don't allow for gross feelings in our relationship. If something happens and one of us feels hurt or off or like it created something happened that created distance between us, we just address it right then because we don't want things to build up over time. Uh, it's kind of like Angelin tells the analogy. It's like a ki- like a cleaning the dishes. Mm-hmm. So if you leave dishes in the sink for a week and then try and clean them, oh, yeah. it's really hard to get it's the crusties and- off and smelly. But if you immediately do them as soon as they're dirty, the stuff just comes right off. And it's the same with we hear all the time pick your battles, but we don't necessarily agree with that. We feel like if... Or just let it let the little things go. Right. We feel like if there's something that's created a gap between us, we want to get rid of it as soon as we can. And it's much easier to address it real time than to wait. And but, then six months down the line, when you get in a small argument, you're bringing yeah. things up that happened that are unnecessary. So there's, there's all these couples who... They let things go and they let things go and they let things go and they let things go. And then one day they walk in the kitchen and they're like, these dishes are disgusting. And they've been sitting here for six months. Who's going to clean this up? Mm-hmm. You know? And we don't we don't deal with those kind of blow-ups. And it's funny when we talk about this kind of stuff, couples are like, oh, my gosh, that's us. Like we blow up all the time at each other and we avoid six talking about – Six months ago, you yeah. didn't and fill up the car with gas. And that's like one of it's, – it's one of many things that we talk about that people are – even that's uncomfortable to yeah. talk about. You well, know? and you hear about divorces that people are like, 
it was the kitchen table that ended yeah. up right. through, you know because it we is, just right? grew apart yeah, yeah or i left a, a coffee mug in the sink and, it's and it was right. the last straw it was yeah, the last, last straw. straw meant that things were festering yeah we don't want to have a last straw Wait, so when you started doing this, was it super uncomfortable at first? It's, it's still it's uncomfortable. Still, I don't yeah. think it's ever not uncomfortable. Like, we just had one the other night where we were not wanting to deal with it, either of us. Both of us were super angry. Both of us were hurt. Um, I can't even remember what it was about. See, this is what happens when you get rid of it is you don't even remember what it's about. Yeah. But we were so hurt both of us that we were like almost to tears both of us but um angela saved the day on that one she came in we came in we were getting ready for bed the lights were even off and i was just like i don't like feeling this way this isn't i don't even and that's goes to show that when you get rid of it It in the moment it goes away we could have let it fester and it's uncomfortable and we cry and (laughs) it's not a fun conversation but you feel so much better when it's but gone. But after we cry and we feel better, we get to make out. <laughs> <laughs> that makes it way better. Kiss and make up. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking about how you're like, you don't even remember what it is. Mm-hmm. Like, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times it's like, three years ago. <laughs> yeah, but that's exactly. not. So here's the deal. is It's not forgiveness unless you can forget. Yeah. In, in a sense, I think that part of forg- forgiving – I think a lot of people resist forgiving their partner for stuff because it's convenient to have leverage. It's convenient to have leverage or ammo Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. use against your partner when they screw up. Like it's convenient to always have the upper hand. It means you don't have to be vulnerable. And if you don't truly forgive and like let, and let things go, you always have something that you can hold over your partner's head as leverage to get what you want. Maybe it's a back rub. Maybe it's, you don't want him to, or her to like, go hang out with their friends or watch a video game or, you know, watch the bachelor, whatever, whatever Mm -hmm. it is that they don't want their partner to do. They can use those mistakes as leverage to get what they want. And that's a powerful thing. And people like power. And so sometimes forgiving is, um, it's hard to do because we have to relinquish some of the power that we have. If we are, if we were to hold on to the hurt, to the wrongs that our partners have committed towards us. And one thing that we have come to learn about forgiveness and apologizing, uh, we listened to this podcast called Celebrating Partnership by Allison Allison Armstrong. Armstrong. Before we listened to it while we were engaged, and she gave us this perspective on apologizing that was beautiful. She talked about how our brains, um, they interpret emotional pain and physical pain in the same place. So, for example, if you put your hand on a hot stove and you burn yourself, your instinct is to um, flinch or to draw back. And so when your partner hurts you, your instinct is to draw away from them. And so it creates this gap. And so we found that an apology isn't to admit guilt. It's to heal your partner from the hurt. So regardless of whether I mean to disrespect him, if he feels disrespected, that's a hurt. There's a gap between us. And I don't have to say that I disrespected him on purpose, but I can still apologize for making him feel disrespected. And so that's what we've, that's what we do. When you were putting the butter in the, in the microwave, 
She's putting butter in the microwave. <laughs> and she didn't put a paper towel on top. Oh, it's and so I watched funny. her putting it in. I'm like, hey, you might want to put a paper towel over that because it's going to explode <laughs> everywhere. And she just like, I could tell. She had the look on her face like, you douche. <laughs> Don't tell me what to do. I'm not stupid. I just was. It was It was in front of your whole family. That was yeah, what mom, made my me. Mom, my mom and my sister Everyone were turned to stare at me like I was yeah. stupid. Everybody's looking at dumb yeah. Angeline who, who I can't put a paper towel on top of. The, and I knew. I was like, okay, I need to apologize. Yeah. And we worked it out. Did we work it out? I, yeah, we worked it I out. I apologized. And yeah. it sounds s- s- small, but it's. He didn't mean to it, hurt my feelings. But it, but it created the gap. Oh, yeah. Right. And if I hadn't apologized, she would have been saucy with me the rest of the night. And I knew that him apologizing wasn't him saying, I messed up. I made yeah. a mistake. It was more just, I'm sorry you're hurting. I want to heal the hurt. I didn't mean to hurt you. Right. I apologize. I right. Right. Okay, so hearing you guys talk, because I'm like, I want a marriage like this. <laughs> I want to like... Do it. We highly recommend it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but here's the thing. How, like, when you were dating, I mean, because Nate, you interviewed a, a bunch of people, yeah. and Angela and you were very, it sounds like, avoidant ghosty. <laughs> um, so how did you guys, like, know, or did you know that you would mesh this well? In- um, I think he brought that vulnerability out in me. He made me feel safe that I could open up and be vulnerable to the point where the person I am now and even the person I was when we got engaged was a night and day difference from the person that I was before we started dating. I grew so much with him and a lot of that I attest to the vulnerability. And so I think it's finding someone who makes you feel safe like that and also being someone who can make other people feel safe like, like that, that so that they can open I think, up. I think that's part of it. And I, 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 my favorite quality in Angeline is that she is dedicated to growth. Oh. She doesn't run away from growth, from, from mm-hmm. progress, from becoming a new version of herself. And we, like you said, how do you mesh? The, like, did yeah. you know you'd mesh that well? We didn't mesh that mesh mm-hmm. that well, and we still don't me- still don't mesh that well all the time. Like, a lot of the things that I do naturally make her naturally insecure, and a lot of things that she does naturally make me feel really uncomfortable or, or insecure. Like, we we have a lot of little quirks that prey on each other's weaknesses and vulnerabilities, and like we we overreact sometimes and we get hurt sometimes and we take things out of context sometimes. And I think both of us oftentimes have a propensity to um, not give the other person the benefit of the doubt. We assume the worst instead of assuming the best. And it's something that, but it's something that we're talking about and working on on a regular basis. And so for me, the thing that I loved most about Angeline was just witnessing that she was willing to have hard conversations and she was willing to like, uh, step outside her comfort zone to consider something that in a way that she'd never considered it before. Mm-hmm. And when I realized that she was willing to have those dialogues and those conversations, a lot of the fears that I had about what could happen in the future started to dis- dissipate. And I was like, Oh, I can be with this person because she has empathy and she is willing to like grow and, and she is willing to kind of like evolve with our relationship and that to me is like the most inspiring thing about her is how she just is constantly 
getting better and better. And I thought that they, I think that's what they would say when they say on day one, you think you really love somebody. And then like 18 months later, I can honestly say I look at my wife in a completely different way than I looked at her on our wedding day. And I love her even more because she's grown into a more lovable person. Like she, we're molding our lives around each other and it's super rad. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, man. Find someone that isn't afraid to grow and to change. That's a big deal. Yeah. So yeah. that can have those uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. Yeah. It's really important. Yeah. He would call me out on a lot of things. <laughs> and for some reason with him, I'd be like, oh, you're right. Well, I never tried to call anybody out out of malice. I try and call them out out of love. And right. And and I genuinely felt that yeah. from you. I never felt like it was a criticism. It was more just, hey, I want to help you grow. Sometimes people call people out because they're angry that they're not getting what they want. That happens a lot in dating. I see a lot of guys who feel entitled. Like if they – like it's I call it nice guy syndrome. Guys who who look at the jerks – and see all the women that were hurt by the jerks mm. and they go, well, I'm going to be the opposite of the jerk. Then I'm going to be nice. And because they're being nice and they're being kind and they're being friendly and they're not being pushy or overbearing, they think that they're entitled to a woman's attention. And when she doesn't reciprocate interest, they get angry and then they say mean things. And it turns out they weren't so nice, you know, <laughs> or they, maybe they don't say it to the girl, but they go back to their roommates and they're like, that girl's, Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. she's so stupid and blah, blah, blah. She's such a, whatever, fill in the blank, whatever you call a girl that you don't like. And it's a, yeah, it, it's just interesting. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to see what happens when you don't have the confidence to call somebody out out of love and you call them out I instead. I never got that vibe with me. It was always, I, I knew where I stood But with I've you. been that guy. That's why I yeah. know. Because I've been that guy a lot in my life. And it took a lot of work to get to the place where I was okay with who I was. And that, that that was the thing that I told Angie at the end of the day when we were dating is I'm not going to beg you to to be with me. I've done that before and it sucks. It mm-hmm. sucks to feel like the person that is with you isn't is you're choose you're like choosing them to be with you instead of them choosing to be with yeah. you. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Um, it's a horrible feeling to feel like you're not being chosen, and I just was really clear that I was worth being chosen and that I what and that if she didn't choose me I was going to be okay. And I think a lot of people have a fear that if they don't get chosen back what that says about mm-hmm. them that it might it might mean something like that they're un- unlovable or that they're not worthy of love from somebody and that's a scary feeling. Mm-hmm. That's a big fear. It's a big fear. And so we react out of fear. It it triggers that that mechanism in our brain that you know some somebody's attacking us or or challenging our our identity and we sometimes lash out or we shut down and um we don't do very nice things when we feel threatened in that way so that's maybe a good challenge for people out there is to realize that how other people treat you says more about them than it says about you and that you don't need to feel threatened by somebody else's rejection that you can still love them and it doesn't mean anything about you well and having that confidence like what you said where you knew your worth and you're like if you don't want to date me that's okay that was really yeah. attractive yeah to me. Of course and it, it is. took off all the pressure mm-hmm. and that gave me the freedom to make the choice to want to be with him 
And I think that that's important. I didn't ever feel like I was obligated <laughs> to choose you. It was always, it was my choice. Which is I how it should be. Right. You. right. So you guys talked a little bit about like the best advice is people that are just a little bit ahead. Mm-hmm. And so one of the questions I wanted to ask you is what, I mean, we talked a little bit about this, but what would you be your advice to your single self now that you've been married? Do you know what your advice would be? I'm thinking. <laughs> I've been thinking about this. I wish I would have known what shame was earlier in my life and how to deal with it because that caused me a lot of trouble. And so understanding what my shame was, where it came from, and how to deal with it would have been great knowledge to have. I think just going back to what I just said, the advice I would have given myself, I would have made myself read the book No More Mr. Nice Guy. Who is that by? By Dr. Glover. Glover. Is it? It's not Donald Glover. That's the childish Gambino. But I believe his last name is Glover. But it's a book that addresses that nice guy mentality Mm -hmm. of I'm entitled – that he talks a lot about covert contracts and the the kind of the deals that we make with other people without ever acknowledging the deal. And, and one of them is like, if I'm nice to you, you're going to be nice to me. Or if I, if I, um, I don't know, that's, I mean, that's a really simple example. If I'm nice to you, you're going to be nice to me back. And there's that expectation. No, but I totally get that. And this is like in a different way, but like when I first started podcasting, I learned early on that, I mean, because you can be like, oh, I'm going to have someone that's social media, like all these likes or whatever. But I learned early on to that my interviews weren't about how popular someone was on social media because yeah. most of the time people hate hearing themselves talk. So they aren't going to repost. Yeah. And so it has to be someone that I actually like. And so I totally get that thing of where sometimes people feel entitled like, oh, if I'm I do doing this, this for you. you, if I scratch your back, you scratch right. mine. Yeah. yeah, that's a hard lesson to learn yeah. in the podcasting community. Yeah. I'm the same way. So, I've experienced yeah. that. I think my advice to myself would be to to take a deep breath. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times I get super anxious, and I'm learning now that when I get anxious, I stop breathing, yeah. <laughs> and then it makes it worse. So I would just tell myself to take a deep breath that everything's going to be okay and to enjoy the journey. Because I think I was so and wait for Nate. And wait for Nate. <laughs> I was so anxious about finding the right person that I think I didn't necessarily enjoy dating as much. And also I would tell myself to be a little more vulnerable and take more risks because I would shy away from the risks. Angela likes to do things if she knows she's gonna be good at them. It's true. And I miss out on a lot she of things. She used to be that way, life. she's not that way anymore. Um I miss out on a lot of things because I was good at everything because I only did things that I was good at. And so, yeah, it's it's about that discomfort again. I would tell myself to lean into the discomfort and um, try things maybe that I'd never tried before. And also another thing I would tell myself is that if you keep dating the same people and expecting a different result, that's what the definition of insanity is. So I would like date the same type of guy over and over and over again because it was the guy that I pictured in my head would be the type of guy that I'd marry. Which tells you that I'm not the kind of guy that she pictured in her head when she thought of her husband. But like I would be so shocked every time that a relationship would end. And ultimately, before Nate and I started dating, it was finally like, Nate's my best friend. Why not give it a try? He's different than any guy I've ever dated before. 
but maybe that's what it's supposed to be. If I, if I tried giving somebody a try that I wouldn't necessarily have given them a try before can result in something great. And I, you're almost, almost so married to the idea of what marriage should be that you didn't get married. I almost <laughs> didn't marry Nate. That's the truth. I could have very easily walked away, and it scares me sometimes to think back at how easily I could have walked away from Nate and could have just said, he's not my type, or I don't, this, this is to too uncomfortable. <laughs> and we, we wouldn't have gotten, we did have <laughs> really? that conversation. <laughs> okay, I'll give you an example. <laughs> Do you mind? Go for it. This is a great so, story. Again, going back to me convincing uh, let myself. Let me preface that I, I was dirt poor at the time and hadn't been, like, I just hadn't had insurance money or any money at all, <laughs> like, to go to the dentist. Yeah. And so I brush my teeth on a regular basis, but stuff builds up. Mm -hmm. And you also have sleep apnea and all these and things I didn't that, know I had sleep apnea. that contribute. Mm -hmm. At the time. But I was convincing myself not to date Nate. And one of the things was is every now and then he would have some Pretty stanky bad breath. breath. <laughs> and to the point where it was like gamble breath. Like if he'd go in for a kiss, I'd be like, am I going to enjoy this or am I not going to enjoy this? And... It was to the point where I was like, okay, well, this is pretty good grounds for me to just be like, and eh, this isn't going to work out. Or I could have the uncomfortable conversation with him and say, do you mind brushing your teeth or flossing <laughs> or, or doing something? She bought me a tongue scraper. Oh, did and that she's work like, better? Yeah. yeah. Honestly, that was the most uncomfortable conversation I've ever had. And it took me forever to get it out. I'm like giggling on the floor and he's like, what is going on with you? Because I could go when I'm nervous. Mm -hmm. But I finally told him. And then he was super gracious about it. Maybe a little embarrassed, but gracious. And after that, his mouth hygiene was impeccable. <laughs> and so that's one of those things. Sometimes I think we date people and we we look at the little things and think, oh, I'm just, this is grounds. This is mm -hmm. a deal breaker for me. But... I looking back, I would say look and see if it's something that can change. And if it's something that can change, it's worth having the conversation about. If it's something they can't change, like maybe he is shorter than you and you don't want to date someone shorter than than you, that's not something to bring up because they're they can't change that. Mm -hmm. But something like you'd like it if they wore a suit that was a little more fitted or you know, some of the stupid things that we... Or maybe, can we get you a new scent of cologne that, right. I, that I really like? like <laughs> or you know, like there's, can you put a little hair product in your hair? Or, you know, just the superficial, shallow things that we sometimes... Or even, I want you to tell me when something's wrong. And I promise that when you do, I'll I'll be good, kind about it. So you can speak up. Mm -hmm. You know? That can cause strain on a relationship if somebody's not willing to to offer their opinion or say when something's you're not allowed to complain about something you've never asked for. That's kind not, of a mantra. You're not allowed to complain about not getting something you never right. asked for. Right. Yeah. I like it. You guys, as you're talking, you're just giving me so much courage. Cause I'm like, <laughs> you seriously told him like, hey. that took, it took like a week. I was so week. proud of her. It took a week for me to get up the courage. I to was do embarrassed it. for about 30, for maybe 10 seconds until I realized how hard it probably was for her to bring that up. And I brought out my little goodie bag. Here's a new toothbrush. She had oh, like, she had it ready. <laughs> yeah. And I was just, I was just blown away. I'm like, wow, good for her. 
I will definitely do this for you because that was not an easy thing to ask for. Well, but like your approach, because someone could be really offended. Like, yeah, are you serious? No, mm-hmm. I I brush my teeth, like right. everything. But like, but where the, does the offense come from? The offense the, comes from that they're embarrassing, yeah, embarrassing. they're Shame. feeling threatened and they're hurt, and so they lash out to protect themselves. And it's I think it's a way to it it's a about. way to approach those conversations yeah. too. You want to do it graciously and kind, which I think I did. You did. You're Anyways, gracious and kind. that's a lot of scattered advice, but yeah, we told a lot of random stuff, and I love it all though, because <laughs> as a single person, all this is helping me out. So. <laughs> well, you guys have a bunch of projects. We talked about the um, for seven years. Mm-hmm. What other things do you guys want to talk about that you're doing? What do you want to talk about? Um, well, along with the first seven years, you have the 1% club. Uh, this is, is like my favorite thing that I have going on right now. Okay. So I, this is a dream that I've had and like the one percent or the, the first seven years in love you mentory is like really general. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, every, every week I'll write something or do an interview and it just goes out to everybody. And that's mm-hmm. great. But I've always wanted to. I'm a firm believer. Do you know the quote by Jim Rohn that says you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with? I'm a huge believer in that. Mm -hmm. And I believe that the same is true for your relationships, that your relationships are the average of the five couples you spend the most time with. And if you're surrounded by people who are miserable or who are like contemplating divorce or if you get with your girlfriends or your guy friends and all they do is like bicker Mm -hmm. and moan about the – their partner like it's contagious it's contagious Mm -hmm. and so i wanted to be a part of a community of people who were dedicated to creating super awesome amazing relationships and so i started this this club called the one percent club and the idea behind it is that if you work on getting one percent better every single day at marriage you will end up with a relationship in the top one percent of relationships ever in all of all time And so it's a community that's dedicated to growth, that's willing to have hard conversations, that's eager to learn and and like tackle some new stuff. And that's where I'm spending the majority of my time and energy right now is just being with those people. And it's so rewarding for me. And I feel like I got a whole bunch of feedback today, actually, that it's really rewarding for a lot of them as well. So um, if you want to learn more about the 1% Club, you can go to Love Umentary or you can go to First 7 Years and there should be a link at the top where uh, at the top of the page that says Love School or 1% Club and you can click there to learn more. That's really cool. And I yeah. feel like that's so different. Like yeah. I don't know if I've heard just that community. I mean like Facebook communities, you know, there's like ones for stay-at-home moms mm-hmm. or like all yeah. different things. Right. But like – for these couples that this is and it's not for people who want to show up and gripe it's for people who want to show up and are willing to like do the work and i try and hold people accountable and i try and expose them to their weaknesses but these are people who are excited to get exposed to their weaknesses so that they can overcome them and get better so they they can complain but they have to um, be, willing to be willing to do something about it it's not somewhere where you just go and complain about all your problems you come looking for a solution and you're willing to do so this. Solution. That's probably the most exciting thing to talk about, though, is the 1% Club. I like it. That's mm-hmm. way cool. Thanks. We have all these wonderful ideas. and it's yeah. <laughs> We have our hands in lots of pots. Like we have a podcast called Mormon Marriages, which is like the love you entry where we interview a couple every week. And but it gives us an opportunity to be more open about our religious yeah views and because i try and keep the our religious beliefs out of most of the stuff that i Mm -hmm. read about but that gives us a forum to actually 
bring religion into it. So if we have Mormons listening, go to mormonmarriages.com. I feel like, did you research on you guys? We're in the middle of fine tuning. So Nate just quit his job a couple months ago to do this full time. Mm-hmm. We're just kind of taking a leap of faith and, and throwing a lot of stuff at the wall. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to see what sticks. Um, and so far the, for the 1% club is our most exciting project and we're dipping our hands in other places to see. Yeah. Like I got a big <laughs> event coming up that I'm yes, really excited about. Yes, you do have about. an event coming up. What's your up? event? Uh, we're just, I'm going to host a big date night at Alta High School. So I rented out Alta on April 27th um, here in Salt Lake. It's going to be me, Kristen Hodson, who's the my friend who's a certified sex therapist. Uh-huh. Uh, Laura Heck, who is one of two certified Gottman therapists in Salt Lake City. And Bea Voce, who uh, gave a TEDx talk last year and has over 2 million views on her talk. And the four of us are going to just host a big date night where we want to inspire couples to have a little bit of fun and also like learn something on their date night. So is that for like married couples? Anybody can come. Anybody who wants to learn about relationships can come. Sweet. We're calling it a date night because we think it would make a great date night. But if you want to come as a single person, you will absolutely get tons of value. Same with everything else we're doing. We, in the 1% club, there's a good mix between both single people and married people. There's a lot of people in there who are like, I want to have a marriage like this when I'm Sweet. I'm going to join the 1%. Join. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Shoot me a message on Facebook and I'll add you. I don't have Facebook, but I'll just shoot you a message. Oh, well, that doesn't help. <laughs> okay, so That's then, right. You got off Facebook. Yeah. We talked about that. Before my 31st birthday. <laughs> um, wait, so the, the event at Alta is on? April 27th. April 27th. And how can people sign up for that? Well, I don't know yet. We oh. literally just launched the page today. Uh, <laughs> What's if, the website? Go to first7years.com and click the events tab and it'll okay. be listed there. And it's probably tickets cost something. Yeah. Tickets are $25 a person. Oh, that's not bad. Nope. So nope. And you talked about that lady who did a TEDx. You also did a TEDx. I did. Shout out to me for that. that. <laughs> We're so, busy people. It's called Fight Naked and Other Epic Love Strategies. It is by Nate Bagley. It's really good. So. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, I love that you guys are dreamers. I love that you have. We love that you're a dreamer. Yes. <laughs> we love you. We love that you invited us here, and we love that you're so inspiring, and you're such a good question asker, and a great interviewer, and a fantastic podcaster. Me. This makes me feel so great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean it. I mean it. Well, thanks. This has been fun, and You're I feel like I've a ray of sunshine over here. So, <laughs> anything you guys want to add? Don't settle for mediocre love. Right. This can be so extraordinary, and it's attainable. I love that. That's a great way to end. Mm-hmm. So, guys, don't settle for mediocre love, and remember to put on your shoes, do your best, and believe in the impossible. Thanks for listening. I believe. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for pushing play and listening to this episode. For more information about today's guests or to submit a nomination for a remarkable person that you would like to hear interviewed, head on over to NotablePeeps.com. All my dreams are coming. All my dreams are humming. All my dreams are coming true. Wait, can you get share what you just shared again everyone's poop stinks <laughs> oh are you recording again <laughs> now i'm recording i like that a little bit i said it everybody's poop stinks we were just talking about how sometimes you you look at these relationships where they seem so perfect on the outside and it can be a little discouraging but everyone like nate said everybody's everyone's poop, poop stinks. stinks and when and we fight perfect. 
we we're we're getting a little better every, every day. day. We have net growth. One percent. One percent better. One percent better every day. Right. And even when we fight, we know that it'll make a good blog post later. <laughs> Somebody's gonna learn something from our from our torture, from our pain, right? From our stinky poop, <laughs> metaphorical or stinky. Breath. Maybe one day we'll write a one day we'll write a literal post about. No, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this bonus content. <laughs> 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 <laughs>